Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb. Welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 122. I am John Davis from MotorWeek, but I'm not alone in our Studio C roundtable today. We have writer-producer Brian Robinson. What's up? Our road test producer, Ben Davis. Hey, John. And our writer, Patrick Lucas. I'll always be here for you, John. Uh, Thank you, Patrick. That (laughs) makes me feel so comfortable. Where's my life jacket? All right, we'll have our lightning round, a viewer question, also a little rant and rave if somebody wants to go off on something this uh, today. But we're going to start with three cars that are featuring prominent on Motor Week these days. We're going to start off with the 2016 Cadillac CTSV and ATSV, a dynamic duo from Cadillac. We've been talking a lot about Cadillac. Uh, Cadillac V's lately. Uh, Brian Robinson, why don't you start us off? Well, I haven't driven the CTSV, but I've spent a lot of time in the ATSV coupe, and uh, it's pretty darn impressive. That engine, the V6 uh, turbo, it's like 460 some horse. Uh, it's amazing. Um, on the track, uh, it still had, they, they definitely added some weight, I guess, from the engine, and they did some additional bracing, so it doesn't quite have the super nimble feel that the regular ATS coupe has. But, uh, man, coming out of corners, the thing is brutal. Tons of acceleration. I love that engine. And uh, it's got all the, a lot of goodies from the Corvette. It's got the rev matching on the manual trans, performance traction management, uh, all that stuff. So, uh, I mean, it's a serious track weapon for sure. And it's still a comfortable car to drive on the street. You know, the, uh, I remember with the first CTSV that came out, and we took it to our track in Roebling uh, in Georgia. And... Um, it was the first domestic car outside probably of a Corvette that I think we ever really enjoyed driving around that track. Uh, it was just an amazing machine. Then we'd all pile in it in the evening and go to dinner somewhere. It's amazing what Cadillac has done. It scares me that these cars are not selling that well, that they might back off all this effort. Huh. Uh, but let's hope not. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like a lot of people complain about how the BMWs and the German cars – even though they're not really, that they're getting worse, they're getting more diluted or whatever, and they're getting more, you know, they're going to turbos instead of all that stuff. But the Cadillac Vs, they seem to be getting better and better. Yeah. They seem to be on on an upward curve. I I do think they probably let their prices get a little bit uh, ahead of themselves, and that's had a factor in it. But um, uh, the ATS and the uh, the V and the new CTS-V just... They're just outstanding. Cars. It has a very natural feel to it. I mean, you yeah. know, there's a lot of electronics involved yeah. with, as with every car now, um, but it just has a very natural feel. You don't hardly feel any, uh, you know, intrusion from the electronics. Uh, it just has a very good feel to it. Ben, anything to add? No, I'm just I'm good. <laughs> just taking it all in. I agree with everything that's been said. Well, speaking of uh, uh, these cars going up against uh, the best in Europe and doing a very good job, let's uh, switch gears a little bit to a, a fairly new con- new concept for Mercedes anyway. Uh, the 2016 Mercedes-Benz GLE Coupe. Um, I don't know. Surprised me. Um, anybody want to crank this up? It kind of surprised me as well because I know the BMW – uh, you know, they make it's basically just a coupe styled version of the GL SUV, and 
I know BMW X5, X6. It just the, seemed like a clone almost with a Mercedes badge yeah, on it. Yeah, and Acura had the one, and they stopped making it yeah. because it wasn't selling. I don't know how many X6s BMW sells, but it doesn't seem like a huge market for me. I guess they charge a lot for them, so that it doesn't have to be a huge market, but uh, it seems like a weird vehicle. To am, me. I, am I wrong criticizing the fact that it looked? it almost looks like they took – uh, you know, a BMW into the studios and said, let's put a Mercedes grill on the front and interior and out the door yeah, it goes. I thought about from hmm. like the windshield, maybe the maybe like the B pillar mm-hmm. back was identical to BMW. Up front was the Amazing. hood was a little more Mercedes. Yeah. But yeah, it was it's crazy. You look at it from the back or from the profile and you're like, I don't know what kind of car that is. You know, I guess there yeah a car company that's got enough money to be able to fill every little niche in the market and by heavens we see all these german manufacturers just filling these tiny niches but i i get really upset when major marquee brands don't seem to stretch themselves to to look different or be different or do something it bothers me yeah, it's almost the exact opposite. Instead of doing something different it's like yeah. let's do the exact, exact same thing same thing but i will say it was pretty nice to drive oh, nice car it felt like a very like big performance sedan didn't feel like a, a truck or crossover or at all but yeah funky guess it's time for cadillac to uh <laughs> oh. <laughs> to put a face and interior on the uh well old aztec molds y- oh my god yes <laughs> I mean, you know you look at it and you think all you know right. this concept is you know the we keep the poor pontiac aztec you know what was wrong with that concept it was ugly, you know, but now, all right, make it attractive, and that's what they've done, basically. Yep, pretty much. All right. Hmm. Enough. We beat that horse. 2015 Volkswagen R, uh, in for testing and also for a day at the track. Wow, what a car. Yeah, it's everything you want a golf to be and more. You know, oh, we got a dissenter here. Yeah, Benny. Yeah, I mean, I'll take the negative on that. It was – for ten grand over a, a regular GTI, I was expecting it to be as loud and raspy as the R32s that I remember. Um, granted, the all-wheel drive is cool, and on a Summit Point Shenandoah, it was fun to drive. But for an R designation, I was hoping for the DSG was great. Don't get me wrong, but the quick tight, the quick turns on Shenandoah, I was hoping for a, a paddle that I could reach up and grab. At any stage of the wheel being clocked, for I mean, being that they're Shift they're so small, the paddles are super small, and they're mounted to the steering wheel. So when I'm hard, when I've got the wheel half turn, a 180 degree turn, the shifters you can't are nowhere, find them. They're nowhere to be yeah. So I would have to go down and, and shift manually with the shifter. Which yeah, that, that's just a little gripe. It was it was a nice yeah, car, but for this sure. is, that's that's you know track day is pretty much what that car is designed for. That's a big thing, I think. Yeah, I think I would rather have the boosted power in in just the front wheel drive version. <laughs> I think I might have had more fun. Patrick, any comments? I thought it was awesome. I also <laughs> didn't drive it on the track, but I thought it was great. The, yeah, I mean the price is a hard pill to swallow, but um, I mean it was a ton of fun on back roads and sounds cool. Uh, it's practical. A ton of power for that little two hundred ninety some horse. I think yeah, from that two liter. Of, and they're going to put. And it feels gonna, like even more than that. They're yeah. doing a, a model with four hundred horsepower, the same mm-hmm. motor. But what a model range, though! All the way from yeah, you've, you've got the regular golfs, the GTIs, uh, e-golf. the e golf. You got the golf sport wagon. I mean, and now this, and probably more to come, like you say. Yeah, amazing they it, for sure. When they said 
at the launch of the new Golf Series a year ago that this was going to become effectively its own car line and how they were going to fill it out. I don't think anybody really believed that they'd do it because car makers are always long on promises. But what an impressive lineup and we picked it as our best uh, small car sh- series of the year but that was even before this car was evident so yeah and uh, talking about the price you know penalty the interior had some nice stuff to it it was definitely you really liked it you thought it was a much higher yeah, looking it was class like more looking interior inside than golf i mean they stepped it up at least i thought so you what do you think benny d just the materials and yeah i, I mean i i think it's the, the golf interior is Worthy of an award, for sure, no doubt. Okay, Golf R. Great car. Eh, small paddles, but we really like that. <laughs> small paddles. Could be a little louder, Could be too. a little louder. All right, let's move on to our lightning round. Our panelists have a couple of minutes, uh, two minutes to be exact, to debate a trending automotive topic. And when it's up, they're going to hear the bell. There you go, Patrick. Okay, spy shots have confirmed rumors that Fiat is developing their own version of the all-new Mazda MX-5. This was originally going to be an Alfa Romeo version. Now Fiat. Codename the 124 Spider. It uses the MX-5's rear-drive platform and underpinnings, but will feature uh, Fiat Chrysler Automotive's uh, 1.4-liter multi-air turbo i4. A more par- a powerful uh, Aboth version is rumored that will probably have the 200-plus horsepower 1.7 from uh, a turbocharged i4 from the Alfa Romeo 4C. Okay, is this what Fiat needs to kind of kickstart its image in America, which they got a lot of products out there, but they haven't done as well as they thought they would? Or is it another case of old-school badge engineering? What do you think? Well, I wouldn't call it badge engineering. I mean, haven't they been in – weren't they involved from the beginning with that platform? Yes, it is yeah. It is a co-platform between Fiat so, slash Alfa Romeo yeah, and Mazda. So that's not badge engineering at all. And everything about you the cars it. visually is going to be different, yeah. include, and the engine's going to be different. Yeah, that is that is truly awesome. I think it's exactly what they need. It'll definitely definitely pump up the sales, pump up the image. Now, go ahead, Patrick. I, I was going to say it might pump up the image, but I don't know if it'll well, – you think it'll pump up sales too? I think it's something that draws people into the showroom. Okay. If it's more or less a higher horsepower Miata, I think, it, I think it'll get some cross-shopping. For sure. I mean, the Miata obviously brought back the the pension for simple roadsters. When I was young, uh, you know, getting a hold of a, a Fiat Spider was basically your dream car, even though you knew you'd be working on it every day. <laughs> uh, you want it because it was Italian, it was cool, it was low to the ground, it was all of the above, and they still have a way of design. You know, that nobody else really can match. But it, on top of this, we're also they're going to get an Alfa Romeo Roadster, it looks like, one that's going to be all Italian. Um, it's, we're going to be flush with small uh, two-door drop tops. Yeah. I hope yeah. Fiat doesn't do their weird uh, giant headlights and giant lighting because that, oh, yeah. that can make it look pretty funky. We don't want it to look like a 500. <laughs> yeah, they need, a, they, I think they can be careful. Like pop and yeah. <laughs> I do want it to sound like an Abarth, though. Yeah. I hope it's got that engine. I'm sure it will. Yeah, dual exhaust in that engine, uh, over 200 horsepower. Yeah, the um, so far I'm, I, we're we're pleased with the new MX-5, but now we sort of will expect uh, Fiat to do something a little, uh, with a little bit more flair to it. And let's hope they do. Uh, I think we just used up our time. So, uh, Kevin has written us a uh, question, and it also actually involves a Mazda. 
He said he's thinking about getting a new compact car. The ones he likes best are the Honda Civic and the Mazda 3. Okay, he comes from a family that's owned a lot of Honda products and really loves their reliability. This time he thinks he'd like to switch it up, maybe go with the Mazda, but he's a little bit worried about reliability. What is our collective feeling? Uh, He keeps his cars for everywhere from 8 to 10 years. Uh, should he wait, go for take go for broker, or actually just wait for the new generation Civic that comes out this fall? Wait okay. for the Civic. <laughs> Why do you say that? Well, if he's familiar, you know, with I'm sure the Mazda three reliabilities are fine, but uh, nothing really compares to Honda in that regard. And uh, the new Civic's supposed to be a lot sportier, so I think that would, you know negate any benefits you'd get from the Mazda 3. So, uh, yeah, I would wait for the new Civic. I wouldn't worry about the reliability on the Mazda 3. I mean, that's a that's a rock-solid car. So if reliability is your only, your only deciding factor, I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, I would say the same. I mean, I can't really speak to, to reliability, but if you're strictly doing sedan... Does that mean you're unreliable? Exactly. No. <laughs> I mean, you've known me for a couple of years now. Oh, um, you said you were always there for John. I was like, <laughs> yeah, well, I said, I'm, like, yeah. I'm caught. I'm caught. Back <laughs> to do a corner now. Um, if, you, if you're strictly talking sedans, that's pretty hard to compare because they're both probably going to be good. But the Mazda 3 has the nice hatchback version, too, which is pretty clutch. Yeah. Uh, aren't they bringing a Civic hatch? Oh, they are going to yeah, they yeah. do a Civic hatch. Uh, right. made, in, made in the U.K. Yeah. Um, I guess my feeling is that if you're a longtime Honda fan and you've got a Honda family, I'm not sure you're going to like anything else. I yeah, mean, you're going to have to park it on the street when you come home for the holidays. They're not going to let it put it in the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, I'm not sure we answered your question, but maybe we gave you a little food for thought. It seems like uh, you're in pretty good shape whichever way you go there. But I would at least wait and try yeah. and see the new Civic yeah, before I'm, I made a decision. I'm interested to see how the new Civic turns out myself. Okay, let's move along to our uh, rant and rave session. Now, anybody around the table got something that they'd like to get off John, their chest? I've got. Oh, one. Oh, <laughs> I've got. He's one. been sitting biting. He's been biting his lip the entire podcast. Go ahead, Ben. This uh, we have a Mustang GT convertible in right now, and I've noticed recently, not on just this convertible, but the seat belts are miserable being anchored to the top of the seat, and they ride so high up on my neck that that it kind of cuts into it, and there's nothing I can do about it. You mean it. They, they come out from the side of the side panels and go over the seat, or are these actually They're anchored to the seat? anchored to the floor like a normal seat belt, but they come up and they over are attached the to the seat, seat themselves ah, through, okay. a little, uh, through a little... What do you suggest they, how they do it? Well, like in the Miata, it was attached to, the, to a rear portion of the vehicle. Um, well, if you have a back to, seat in the Miata, though. That's true. Yeah, install a roll bar or something and, and tie it to that, or even easier. Uh, I have a Tahoe that has a seat belt that's part of the seat. Uh, if you're going to do a convertible, uh, the convertible needs their own seats. That are taller. That are taller on one side, yeah, like a Tahoe. That little, yeah, that little knob that sticks yeah, up on the top of the seat. it's perched up high. Doesn't some people have one that's, that's adjustable, too, don't the bends? I think there Maybe are some. some that, that little yeah. thing comes in and out of the seat. Simply yeah. attaching it to the seat with an afterthought. Brack, uh, plastic bracket. bracket. It's not, it's not going to work. You know, work I think you've hit on something. There are Bam. so few convertibles that I find the seat belts are are comfortable because exactly what you say. They mm-hmm. ride right over. T- they rest on the top of your shoulder instead of being somehow elevated like you like a yeah, normal. They sedan. rely on your shoulders, <laughs> and it is bloody uncomfortable. It is. And you've seen those. 
pads that you know people would made out of fake fur that people buy and and stick around them. Mm-hmm. You know, seatbelts you have to wear them. You're stupid to go out without them. So why don't they make them comfortable? They want to save money and not do a seat. This is something I've never thought about, but now every time I get in any car for the rest of my life, it's going to be in the back of my head, and it's always going to bother me now. I hadn't really noticed it. Until, uh, have you driven the car? I drove the Mustang. Yeah, I didn't really notice it. Now, some of the European products, and I guess there's others out there, that have the arm that hands yep. you the seatbelt. A little retractable arm. BMW 2 Series, I think, had it. Yeah, and they tend to – and that has obviously a, a loop for support that goes down into the chassis. They tend to ride a little bit higher than the seat – and that seems okay, but actually, the the Tahoe solution with a, basically a, its own unique seat yeah. that seems to be the a good solution. Yeah, that, that's a che- the cheapest one, probably. Get it together, car companies. Make <laughs> yeah. your convertibles. They can't just be sexy. They've got to be comfortable keep, too. Keep my man Ben well, happy. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> Thanks, such. Man. I think got my back. There's such a small percentage of car sales. I mean, they're not going to put a high priority on. Convertible but seats. does that mean that the people that pay all that extra money for convertible have to be uncomfortable? Well, they're just going to have to pay a little bit more if you want special seats. I understand. I understand. All right. This should be done. Better seat belts, please, <laughs> on your convertibles. Uh, that wraps up our MotorWeek podcast number 122. I want to thank everyone around the table, plus some more. Our, our writer-producer, Brian Robinson. Our road test producer, Ben Davis. Uh, Patrick Lucas, who also serves as our podcast producer. Yeah. I want to thank our audio engineer, Jillian Kuchman, who's done a superb job of keeping us um, Clear as a bell today. Uh, speaking of the bell, thanks for Patrick for that too. And our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. I want to thank all of you for being a part of Motor Week every week on public television and also on Velocity and our YouTube channel and our website. It's all out there for you. Thanks very much for letting us know that uh, you appreciate what we do. So for all of us at Motor Week, thanks very much. And we've got, all right, Patrick, you've got the mic in your hand. What are you going to do <laughs> with it? Nothing. Uh, Nothing. Just keep doing your thing. I was just doing some acting. <laughs> and I'm going off again. I was again. waiting for some vocals. Yeah, I was going to say, sing us a song. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and join us soon for more Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.